somebody passes away, somebody especially that has significance in our world, it catches us off guard. Queen Elizabeth II passed away this past September, and we watched a nation mourn the loss of their leader, someone who they looked up to, someone who had reigned for 70 years as the queen of that country. From our side of the pond, we don't think about it that much. But as we read our history books, and we think of everything that this lady experienced and accomplished in 70 years as the head of the British monarchy. She sat on the throne starting in 1952 at the age of 25. And when she started her reign, she saw 15 different prime ministers and she met with the last 13 of the 14 United States presidents. She's seen a lot of history take place. She married Prince Philip in 1947, and they were married for 73 years before his passing uh, last year. But whenever we think about somebody of significance that passes away, whether it's somebody like Queen Elizabeth, whether it's a celebrity, someone that we follow in sports, we just uh, had the passing of Coach Vince Dooley last week, who was the prominent coach. You think Georgia Bulldogs, you think of Coach Vince Dooley. And think about everything he accomplished. But the man of integrity that he was also. But when we think about the death of people like this, we start to do a little introspective of ourselves. We start thinking about our mortality. We think about what's going to happen when we leave this world. Will people remember what we've done? Will our life matter or mean anything? Will there be any significance that we leave behind? And we think about these things, and I think some of us, if not all of us, we wrestle with some questions. We think about our mortality. We know that our days are numbered. We know that we're not going to be here much longer. Do things start coming into your mind and creeping into your heart as you think about the loss of someone, whether it is somebody of notoriety or celebrity or the loss of a loved one, someone that you care about, somebody that you know? We start taking a step back. We start thinking about things like this. What is most important in my life? That is a question I think we all wrestle with, we all think about, is what is most important in my life? How do I fully live so that I am ready to die? How do I live a life in such a way that I am ready to leave here? How about this question, will I leave a legacy that benefits those who I leave behind? What is the legacy I leave? What do they remember about me? And then here's a question that I came across that kind of struck me, and it, it, it went this way. How will I build something in this life to carry into my eternal life? I thought it was an odd question, but I think some people think about that. The reality is we don't take anything with us, though. But it's what we leave behind. It's the attitude we had when we were still here. In our DNA, there is this idea of our life. We want it to be of worth. We want it to be of significance. We want our life to mean something. We want something to be accomplished. And there's a weight when it comes to that. And so here's the question I want you to think about this morning as we move into our time together. And the question is this, what makes our life significant? You could reword this and make it personal. What makes my life significant? 
Is it work? Is it play? Is it community? Is it my home life? Is it my investments? Is it my service? Because all these things add value to my life, but they do not define it. My life is not defined by the things that I do. My life is not defined by the things that I enjoy. My life is not defined by my family. My life is not defined by my job or my calling. What is significant is those values and practices that I should be participating in that are significant now will be significant in the future. The Bible tells us that we should be practicing gratitude on a daily basis. We should have gratitude that we have life and we should use that as what our significance is. Over the next few weeks, we're working through this series, gratitude, what does that mean? And ultimately, how do I live a life of thankfulness? How do I live a life that every day I'm showing thankfulness? I don't wait till that special Thursday in November to be thankful. Because every day I should be thankful. Every day I should be having an attitude of gratitude. So this morning we're going to look at specifically fundamental gratitude. What does that look like? What is the makeup? Because it's through gratitude that we appreciate, we appreciate life's goodnesses, and we should be compelled to pay that goodness forward. It should create in us a sense of happiness and satisfaction that trickles into our relationships, but also comes out of our relationships into new friendships, into what we do in our community, in our world. So let's start with the first basic question. What is gratitude? What is gratitude? What does that look like? And here's the definition that I came up with. Gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and experiencing the grace, benefits we do not deserve, and goodness bestowed in our lives. That's what gratitude is. Gratitude is taking that grace, remembering and expressing it, grace that we do not deserve, and we take that grace, and we take that goodness, And we don't only receive it, but we bestow it to others in our lives. So the question may be this morning, how can I come up with this as a definition for gratitude? How can this be the definition? Here's the first thought. You and I have an intimate desire to show gratitude for the goodness and grace we receive. We have this desire in us to want to show gratitude and grace that we've received. The Bible shows us this. The Bible gives us the greatest witness of this. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Genesis chapter 8 this morning. Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8 shows us a picture of gratitude. And it shows us how that gratitude goes both ways. It doesn't just give and take. It's reciprocal. It moves in a circle, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But in Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird or whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal 
and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. After being on the ark for a year, what is Noah's response to God? Look at verse 20. He gets off the boat. He doesn't say, man, look at the land. Look at the sky. Look at everything around us. No, verse 20 says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Noah's first recorded act upon stepping off of that ark was to show gratitude. And those who would hear this passage shared, those who would hear the story of Noah would look over this verse. Yeah, he got off the boat and all the animals got off with him and everything started over again. But verse 20, do not skip verse 20. Because it takes a little bit of digging into this morning. I want you to see this. And your translation may not use the word then. In the New King James and in the ESV translation, it uses the word then to start verse 20. But I want you to think about some things for just a moment. First, consider for the fact that Noah had spent 356 days on the ark. He walks down that plank off of the ark and makes a conscious decision that the very first thing he is going to do is say, thank you, God. That's the first thing he chooses to do. He doesn't look at the boys and say, hey, guys, we got to start building a house. I need a house. You need a house. You need a house. And you need a house. And then we need to build a place to worship. And then we need to build a barn to store the food. And then we need, no, the very first thing that is on Noah's heart the minute he steps off of this ark is to say, thank you, God. Now, here's why this is so important. Don't slip past this. Don't read past this. You have to remember, the Ten Commandments hadn't been given yet. So Noah's not practicing honor God and honor him before everybody else. He is not practicing anything that he has been taught. There are no commandments and there are no statutes regarding worship yet. There's no organized religion until after Exodus chapter 20, yet Noah steps off the boat to worship. We know that Noah was a man who was righteous. We see that in Genesis chapter 6. That's why Noah, his three sons, his wife, and their wives were the only people who were saved because God saw the wickedness of man who wasn't worshiping him except for this one man, Noah. And God tells Noah to build the ark. He gives him those commands. He gives him his marching orders, and he follows through. You also have to remember that other, other thoughts were creeping in. That's why the world was wicked. There were pagan religions starting to creep in, and man was following those things and not following God. Listen, Noah, go back to verse 20. Noah does not offer the sacrifice because he has to. He has a desire to worship God. And let's be honest, if you were stuck on an ark for 365 days with every known animal to man and every smell that comes from every animal known to man, the minute you got off the ark, you probably want to worship God too and say, thank you. Thank you for getting me off. But no, he says, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving my family. Thank you for watching over us. That is the purpose of what he is doing here. And if you think about even a step deeper, put yourself in Noah's shoes. He's been in this dark ship. It's drenched with stench. 
It's drenched with every animal that's been survived. This thing has been tossed to and from. It has been rained. It has gone through the waves. And when the ark finally sits on that mountaintop, he walks out into that fresh air. He feels the sun on his face. And his simple response is to look to heaven and say, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for protecting us. Of everything he could have done, his desire is to build this altar. So we think about that first question about this desire to receive and show gratitude. But here's a second thought I want you to think about this morning. Is how does God respond to this act of gratitude? How does God respond to this act of gratitude? Look what happens. Look at verse 21. Verse 20, Noah builds this altar and says, Thank you, God. Look at verse 21. The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Did you see what happened here? Verse 20, Noah builds an altar, says, God, thank you. Verse 21, Scripture says that God smells the aroma of worship. And it's pleasing to him. Look at verse 21 again. It says he smelled that soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor again will I destroy every living thing as I have done. Think about it. The blessing that God has just shown was not because of something that Noah had earned. Noah did not earn this response. Noah didn't say, hey, God, look at me. I just worshiped you. I just built this altar for you. Now, what is your response? No, he smells that aroma. He smells the worship. And he sees this coming from a man who is dedicated to him and chooses to bless him, not because of his obedience, but he chooses to be obedient. We learn in this passage that Noah received his blessing because he chose to worship which pleased God. Because Noah's heart was thankful and Noah's emotions were overflowing with an act of gratitude and offering. So this is what this looks like. This is what gratitude looks like. We see it pictured here in Scripture so beautifully. Sometimes we skip over it. We see Noah get on the ark. He survives the ark. He gets off the ark, and everything else goes on from there. But we skip this passage of Noah saying thank you and God turning around and saying thank you to him for his act of worship. We see it because it's an overflow of Noah's heart. That's gratitude. Here's the second thing I want you to think about this morning. We think about the fundamentals of gratitude. I'm going to teach you a word this morning. The word is this, Eucharista. And it's on the screen so you can spell it correctly. 
That is the word for the day, Eucharista. Say it with me, Eucharista. That word needs to be part of your vocabulary. And let me explain why. The English word gratitude stems from the Latin word gracias, which means to give thanks. That's what it means in English. The word gratitude in English comes from the Latin word gracias, which means thank you, give thanks. The Bible takes it one step closer. It takes a little more deeper into this understanding. In the Bible, the word gratitude is the word eucharista, which stems from the word charis, which means grace. You see that in the word, that C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It means grace. So charis Grace is favor, an act of goodwill, a loving kindness for which we do not deserve. So the Eucharista is an offering of thanks out of the abundance of grace shown to us. It's giving thanks to the Lord with pleasure and delight because we receive delight and pleasure from His grace, from His charis. Eucharista, also know this, Eucharista, it's not a horizontal practice. This idea that I give and take, that's not how this works. Grace doesn't travel from one side and come back to us. Eucharista is reciprocal. Grace is reciprocal. It's a cycle of giving, a cycle of receiving at the same time because grace abounds. The Bible tells us that God does not desire sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. I will take it a step further. God does not desire worship just for worship's sake. Too many times we come into worship, whether it's through the singing, whether through prayer, whether through the preaching, and we simply go through the motions. We're not allowing God to invade the space. You're not allowing God to invade your heart. Because too many times we sit in the pew and we think, well, I got it all figured out, God. I don't need you today. Go help somebody else. Last time I checked, we need God every day, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays. We need him every day to be in our life, to be in our heart, but it's reciprocal. The grace we show him, the grace he shows us, but God does not want sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 51. Let me remind you of this this morning. Let me remind you of the grace that we are shown, the grace we don't deserve, the gratitude that he shows us on a daily basis basis. Psalm 51, starting in verse 15. Scripture says this. Now remember, David is writing, David is writing this psalm as a psalm of repentance. He says, starting in verse 15 of Psalm 51, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall, for, shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. In my Bible, next to verse 17, I wrote the word Eucharista because it's a reminder for me of the gratitude that he shows me. It's a practice of gratitude that I should be showing in return. I should choose to practice gratitude because grace 
God freely shows me grace on a daily basis. He shows me grace, and I should show grace back to him in the things he has done. Now, it's important to note that gratitude that we're talking about is much more than saying thank you. It's not just saying thank you to God. This practice of the Eucharist is flowing out of the sentiment of thankfulness in our hearts. It's a gratitude of God's grace that is more than just a recognition of God's grace. It's a response of this demand that he has put into our heart to express our response of grace and gratitude, not only to him, but to others. Let me show you an example. Came across an article about a police officer responding to a man who was threatening to jump off a building and commit suicide. The police get to this building, there's this man sitting perched on the corner of this building. He wants to end it all. And this is the statement he keeps making over and over and over. No one loves me. No one cares if I die. No one will miss me. That's what this man is saying over and over and over. And there comes this moment when the officer realizes the situation is getting worse, not better, because no matter what they tell him, they can see in his eyes that he's going to go through with it. They can see no matter what they say right now, nothing is going to change this man's thought. Because right now, this man sits on the ledge saying, nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, and nobody's going to care if I kill myself. That's this man's attitude. One of the officers suddenly was come over with emotion and pain, and he realized, and he said to himself, I love this man. I care for this man. So the officer moves closer to the ledge, and he has this incentric feeling of love for this man he does not know, this stranger he has never met, and he simply tells this man sitting on the ledge, don't jump. I love you. You are loved. You are not alone, and someone cares for you. I care for you. I love you. And the officer said this over and over and repeated it over and over and over. And the other officers who were around who were testifying to the words of this officer. And they were all telling this man who wanted to jump that they loved him, that they cared for him, that they didn't want to see him harm himself. And this officer continues to tell this stranger over and over sitting on this ledge that I love you, that I care for you, that there are others who care for you as well. Ultimately, the man came back down from the ledge. And the officer who had been talking to him embraced him in his arms and is sobbing with this stranger, reminding him how much he is loved. After everything was said and done, reporters came to this officer and said, what was going through your mind? Why did you do this? What, what made you want to save this man and help him? And this was the officer's response. I just felt I loved him even though I didn't know him. And it broke my heart to see him feel so unloved because I am loved and I know I loved him. This is a picture of God's grace poured out onto us every day. And you and I have the opportunity to receive his grace in our life. And if we are receiving his grace, we should naturally want to show his grace to others of what God is doing in our life and how we can speak into the lives of others. Because when grace is received, there should be this desire to express it to others. 
This leads to the next fundamental part of gratitude, and that's that word grace. It's the word grace. Listen, it's easy to recognize grace in our lives. When people do things that we don't expect, we don't plan, that is a sign of grace. But you know, children are a perfect example of teaching grace too. Parents, how many times have you been with your children and somebody has given them something or somebody has done something for them and you had to do one of these and you said, what do you say? What do you say? Thank you. That's showing gratitude. As parents, we have done that over and over and over. We remind our children at their birthday parties, remember to say thank you. When you go to the grocery store, go in the grocery store and you go to the bakery section and you always have the free cookie for the kids and you see child after child go up and grab a cookie and leave and your child goes out there and what do you tell that child? What do you say? Thank you. It's expressing gratitude for something we don't deserve, for something we have not earned. But then it blows our minds when we see parents, our children when they should say thank you and they choose not to at all. And it makes us upset and it sometimes it embarrasses us. There's nothing worse than being with your children, especially at Christmas. At Christmas. And you invite people over and you're having this time of fellowship and your family gives that family just a gift to say thank you and express gratitude and said child goes, where's mine? That's not gratitude. That's expecting something because they gave something. And this is the picture that we have to remind ourselves of that when we show grace, it is showing grace because of what God has done in our lives, what he does over and over and over. Here's a litmus test. I wanna give you a litmus test this morning for identifying God's grace in our lives. Here's the litmus test. First, when God, when does God hear me offer charis to his charis in my life? In other words, when does God hear me offer grace to his grace? Listen, does God only hear grace from you at the dinner table? For some, that's the only time he hears grace. Every day is an opportunity to say thank you, not just when you sit down to eat. But does God hear my grace when he offers grace to me? And how does my response to his grace sound? Do I compliment his grace? Do I say thank you and intentional of the reflection of the kindness and goodness he has shown me? Or do I repeat the same four lines over and over and over and over again? The same four lines we used to learn when we were younger? God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. We all learned that prayer, didn't we? And that is an act of gratitude, but does it go beyond just those four lines? What about when you go to bed at night and you teach children to pray? Is it more than just to be on a simple prayer? Are you reminding your children? Are you reminding yourself before you lay down to thank God for what he has done? Do I take time to consider the moments of God's goodness and kindness throughout my day? Do I take time to stop and look at what God has shown me, his kindness and his goodness every part of my day? Do I tell him thank you for new mercies? Do I tell him thank you for new mercies? 
Do I tell God thank you when I see a family member suffering? Do I say thank you to God when I see a family member dealing with a hard situation? Do I say thank you, God, when I see someone struggling? Or do I get angry at God and cry out and get mad at Him? We thank Him for the good times. We thank Him for the hard times. Do we thank God for keeping us safe when we go to and from work? Do we thank God for keeping our children safe when they go to and from work and to and from school? Because here's what it amounts to. We think about gratitude. We think about grace. And I didn't put this in your outline this morning, but it's worth, if you're a note taker, it's worth putting down your notes this morning. When we slow down and take time to recognize charis, grace in our life, as believers, we desire Eucharista. We desire gratitude. When we slow down and take time to recognize the grace in our life, the grace we do not deserve, grace we did not earn. We recognize that grace in our life. Do we slow down enough to look back to God and show Him gratitude? Because if God's grace is all around us and working through us, then there should be this desire, this willingness to show and receive this gratitude in recognizing God's grace, but expressing it to others. In showing God's grace and showing God's gratitude to others in our life. And that leads to this last thought this morning. We think about gratitude. It's the practice of remembering God's grace. Gratitude is the practice of remembering God's grace. In the middle of the Passover story, when the children of Israel are fixing to leave Egypt... There's a section of scripture that kind of gets overlooked. We know the Passover story. We know what the families were to do. We know why they were to do it. We know that part of the history. But on the night before Passover, God gives clear instructions. He gives a clear reminder to the people of what they're to do and why they're to do it. And then Moses, in turn, has to share with the people what is expected of them and why they're doing this. Take your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. The night before the Passover, the night before that last plague shows up, God gives clear instructions to Moses, and Moses in turn gives instructions to the people. And like I said, we know this part of the scripture. We've studied it, we've read it, we've learned it, we know it. But we tend to skip over this one little section in the scripture sometimes. And we need to be careful that we pay attention to it this morning. Exodus chapter 12, look where we start in verse 24. He says, And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service that you shall say? It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, right now, some of you are thinking this question. You're thinking it in your mind. What does this section of scripture have to do with the words gratitude or grace? 
What does this have to do with what we've been talking about? Stay with me, and I'll explain it. God knows that you and I, because we are human, we are forgetful. Not only do we forget birthdays, we forget anniversaries, we forget how to worship God sometimes. And God had to give the children of Israel a reminder of the grace he had just shown them and what it meant to show grace and be grateful for how he protected them and how he watched over them. He knew that this nation was going to be a nation that would make the same mistakes over and over and over. So he had to set in future practice a plan for them. He had to set in future practice what he calls there in verse 24, an ordinance. But notice what Moses is told by God in verse 24. You shall observe this ordinance for you and your sons how long? Forever. This is not a one and done event. You're to remember this forever. So God had to set in future practice something for the Israelites to remember their salvation from Egypt. He had to put something that would help them remember and show his extravagant grace, his extravagant gratitude, and the significance of this event to the people. Because a lack of remembrance would be a lack of gratitude. And without gratitude for the Lord and what he had done, guess what happens to their hearts? They grow hard. So God had to instill this to remind the people to have an attitude of gratitude for God saving them on that night from what was coming, that last plague, that plague, the angel of death who would strike the firstborn male of every household. And God set this reminder so years down the road, centuries later, go down to verse 26. When your children look at you and say, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we having this this celebration? Why are we having this specific dinner? What's taking place, mom? Why are we doing this, dad? Here's why. It's a remembrance of what God had done for them, how God had protected them, how God had saved them. Listen, the Passover was more than just a ritual. The Passover was a practice of gratitude. So you and I, we practice gratitude, we receive gratitude, we express gratitude to God for his grace. That's the foundation, that is the meaning of life, expressing and showing gratitude. Because gratitude is seen in our virtues. Gratitude is seen in what God has done for us. Think about this, think about these words, some of you know this verse. We think about these words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, happiness, goodness, thankfulness, self-control. The fruits of the Spirit are an overflow, a piggy bank of being intentional in giving and receiving God's grace. It's a virtue we build upon. Let me tell you how important gratitude is is when it comes to our virtues and how we live our life. Cicero, the scholar, said this, He said that gratitude was the mother of all remaining virtues. This Greek philosopher said gratitude was that important. Another philosopher, Seneca, said this. He said a spirit of ungratefulness ranked below thieves, rapists, and adulterers. He said if you're not grateful, you are worse than these folks right here. So we show gratitude Listen, there's been research after research that shows that you and I have this already built into our lives. God's already put into us a spirit of gratitude, 
a spirit of showing love and thankfulness to others. But let's, guess what? You're not the only one that can do it. Research shows us that chimpanzees show gratitude. They show us that birds show gratitude. Here's an animal I bet you never thought shows gratitude. That's a fish. You don't believe me, watch this video. He threw the fish out and the fish came immediately back to him. That's gratitude. Let me tell you something even crazier. That's, and I can verify this. And I know my daughter is already panicking because I'm going to share the story. So when I would go to the bank up at Renaissance, Miss Jennifer had a betta fish. Remember the betta fish she had, Miss Angie? Her betta fish sat right next to her window. And when I would go to the bank, I would do this. I would stick the tip of my finger into the fish tank. You know what the betta did? He swam right up to my finger and let me pet him. I am not a fish whisperer at all. If, it, if I were a fish whisperer, I'd be catching a lot more fish. But here's what this showed me years later, that this is a real thing. For a fish to express gratitude, a fish, much less other animals, there's a word for it too. It's called reciprocal altruism. There's your other fancy word for the day. It's the innate behavior that helps another, an unrelated individual, even at the cost of themselves, because they initially known that reciprocal altruism, gratitude, will benefit them later. It's this idea that knows that we want to be grateful for what God would. We want to be expressing gratitude. I started with a question this morning, and the question was this. What makes our life significant? What makes our life significant? It's not our job. It's not what we have in the bank account. It's not our family. It's not our friends. What makes our life significant? Here it is. It's our desire to express, receive, and give grace is what makes life significant. The opportunity that I have to express grace, to show grace, and receive grace. The opportunity I have to express gratitude, receive gratitude, and give gratitude. Remember that officer sitting on the ledge talking to that individual? He is showing the human nature to want to express grace and show grace to someone else. And for you and for me to live a deep and meaningful life, we must begin by accepting what is freely given and offering this grace back to God and others through regularly practices of grace. If God's showing you grace, why are you not showing grace to others? If God is showing you gratitude, why aren't you showing gratitude to others? That's the thought process. I'll leave you with two questions. Two questions. They're going to be on the screen behind me. They're not in your outline, so here they are. Question number one. Where have you seen grace, unmerited kindness, and generosity of God in your life? Where have you seen unmerited kindness and generosity from God in your life? Where have you seen that? Think about that this week. Where have you seen God's grace? Where have you seen God's generosity? And here's the second question. Identify areas in your life where you can extend grace, unmerited kindness, and generosity 
towards others. Where have you seen it from God and where can you show it to others? That's fundamental gratitude. That's living a life of thankfulness, of expressing the grace that God has shown you and shows you on a daily basis. Every head bowed and every eye closed. But that grace that you know about this morning, that grace that you received started with God sending his son to die for your sins. Is a grace you received, a grace you didn't deserve, a grace you didn't earn. Yet God showed his love and his mercy by sending his son to die for your sins. There are some of you that have already received this act of grace, but there are some this morning who have never received it. There are some this morning who have never said, thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. Thank you for sending your son to die a death that I deserved on the cross. For some this morning, you know this grace, but you haven't done a good job of showing it to others. You've received it, you've experienced it, but you're not sharing it with others. For some today, you have seen the love, you have seen the gratitude of being a part of this church, but you haven't made yourself a part of this church by joining the church. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. It's a time of response. My prayer is that you do business with God this morning. Remember to thank him for who he is and what he's done. Thank him for sending his son to die for your sins. And if you haven't accepted that, accept that free gift this morning. Thank him for protecting you. Thank him for watching out for you and your family. Thank him for the things that you see and the things you don't see. It's thanking God for that grace and in showing grace and love to others. This morning you have heard what scripture shows us. My desire is to have a heart like Noah's. That Noah's first thought when he stepped off the ark wasn't to build a home for him and his family, but to simply step off the ark and build an altar and say, thank you, God. Thank you for protecting my family. Thank you for keeping everyone on that ark safe. I pray that that would be my heart's desire on a daily basis. I pray that it's your desire as well. Father, as we move into a time of invitation, a time of response, Father, my prayer is that you'd speak into the hearts of individuals. Father, remind us this morning that we can get so caught up in things going on in our lives that we forget to simply stop long enough to say thank you. Father, may that never escape our hearts and our thoughts. That, Father, we, we, we accept this and express this Eucharist. And, Father, we receive the charis. We receive the grace. We have an attitude that shows and expresses our gratitude for who you are and what you do. Father, right now in this moment, as we get ready to, to sing a song of praise to you, Father, stir into the hearts of individuals this morning. 
Father, that is the desire of all of us here. Father, we pray these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Let's all stand.